On this episode of Playtime, the art of Punta and Merengue, the legendary Charlie Baran, and Radio Free Honduras with guitarist Dan Abuabsi. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. I have to say, I really wasn't very familiar with uh, Radio uh, Free Honduras. Uh, just fell in love, man. It, it's oh, thank you. It's it's a great project. Um, That's great to hear. Great to hear. Got a little bit of an introduction uh, that I prepared, which goes a little something like this. We could jump right into this conversation because I don't want to lose any of it. Dan Abu Absi is something of a musical vagabond and intrepid explorer of sorts from a from a brilliant trio of albums. We'll try that again. <laughs> See, that's that's a wonderful thing about recording this. We get to do it over. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Dan Abu Absi is something of a musical vagabond and intrepid explorer of sorts. From a brilliant trio of albums with JT and the Clouds, his work with Birds of Chicago and the Grammy-winning vocalist Allison Russell, to an audacious exploration of Latin and African-inspired music and rhythms with his current project, Radio Free Honduras. Aside from his musical work, Dan is also a real estate broker and a self-described entrepreneur uh, who offers a wide range of services, including low-cost urban landscape irrigation via Aquaman, helping, I guess, to uh, to keep those properties uh, you broker green, right? That's what I'd like to uh, I'd like to focus on for the next 40, uh, 40 or so minutes is real estate brokering. No, 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 I'm just <laughs> kidding. We're here. We're here to talk about the great music that that you help uh, produce. Uh, the website is RadioFreeHonduras.com and GrupoGringo.com. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks. Wow, you did your research. I'm impressed. <laughs> I spent a lot of time, well, a little bit of time on LinkedIn, but a lot of time with the music. We're we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. So this is what I'd like to do is is I'd like to I'd like to begin with some of your previous projects um, before we get into Radio Honduras, and then we'll finish talking up about the new single. How does that sound? Sounds great. All right, all right. I saw also that you earned a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. From the University of Toledo in uh, in Ohio, uh, and you ain't using any of that degree. Uh, no, nope. or are I, you? Uh, maybe hypnotizing your audiences with through <laughs> music, brother. No, no, I don't really uh, use that degree per se. I've never had a career like that or a job mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but you know, I certainly don't regret my college experience or having gotten that degree. It was a big part of my. Uh, my youth, my education. I'm I'm a firm believer that every every step we take in life uh, has has a fateful resonance, and and it even if it if it doesn't immediately occur to us, there's there's an importance in those steps that brings us to where we are. Right? Yeah, agree. Let's jump right into the music, man. Off your first JT in the Clouds album from 2003. 
uh, Delilah. Brag, wow. Papa, Brag is just a wonderful song. At once, I found echoes of Nilsson and uh, Sufjan C Stevens and, and even Jason Mraz. Um, there's a there's a wonderful jazziness and and uh, and life to that that album. How how did that album come together? Well, now looky here, Mama, won't you saddle over here? I put your head, I put your head up in the atmosphere. Then I send you round the sun like a pretty little planet singing zip a dee doo da day. God damn it, oh, she said. You got me running like an eagle, flying like a rabbit. She said, wait, 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 wait. I mean the other way around. I said, oh. That was pretty early on in our days of having just moved to Chicago. Yeah. Um, me and my buddy Drew, who I had played with in, in various bands throughout high school and college in Toledo, we moved to Chicago in uh, late 2001. And his older brother, Jeremy, uh -huh. now known as JT Nero, uh -huh. uh, he at the same time moved to Chicago from San Francisco where he had been working as a singer songwriter for uh, several years. Okay. And so we, we all moved to Chicago at the same time with the idea that we were going to start a band and that's what ended up being JT in the clouds. Uh, so that album was pretty much put together during our first year living in Chicago. Most of those songs, as I recall, we had a house living together. We put together a little, practice space in the basement and it was just a great time um as i remember it coming to chicago being young being free and just you know working with my my buddies to, to put together some music um jeremy wrote that song he wrote all the songs on the record he was our our songwriter and, and lead singer drew and i played mostly uh played he plays piano i play guitar and we did backup vocals there it was a big harmony vocals were a big part of what we did always in terms of the arrangements and how we we put together our songs um so yeah that was that was the three of us mostly working on those tunes at our house and then as it started to come together and we started performing live around chicago we got a band together and we we started to make that record so san francisco has has a great legacy live music uh, scene and uh, Toledo, Ohio, also is is a great working class um, incubator for for music. 
Um, what was the draw to Chicago? Um, well, for for me, it was a relatively logical place to move, I think. Um, Toledo, while it does have a great music scene and, you know, a lot of people that I respect and admire that that I that taught me a lot growing up there, uh, it is not enough of a, a, a scene to sort of be attractive after a certain period of time. You know, it was either, that was either going to be our home base and we toured, we spent our time touring, or we wanted to move to a, a place with a bigger scene where you could experience more and just do more. And we both, we all had family ties sort of to Chicago. We have extended family here. Um, it's a great city mm -hmm. and it, it, it really, honestly, that decision came without a whole lot of discussion. We just knew we wanted to get somewhere with a bigger, better music scene. And Chicago was, was the place we decided on. It's a great proving ground for, for music. And, and, uh, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's got a great club scene that, you know, offers a, a loyal following Frank Aral from uh, Poi Dog Pondering was on, was on the show a while back. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, th they had the capacity to settle anywhere in the country with what, when they, when they began hitting it big, he stuck it out in Chicago. Yep. For the reasons you, you pointed out. Yeah. It's a great place to live. You know, there is, there yep. is a music scene and it's yeah. awesome and it's, varied and it touches on all kinds of different you know genres and and there's that but it's a great place to live too so yeah, really. I, think, I think that's important to a lot of people and nobody has this lake and this lakefront right or the or the uh or i, I i'd say the cultural vibrancy I mean, and we'll get more into that in, in a little bit but i i just wanted to touch on that aspect of this city that there's while, while there are some criticisms of of Chicago as being uh kind of on the segregated side maybe it's a little bit less so now but it has that that cultural di uh, diversity especially in music and the arts right oh absolutely and i mean there's no question it's very segregated it's i think it's still that way but yeah, yeah. um the arts will come through i think you know in any in any situation pretty much yeah. um and it's one of the things that bridges the gaps that do exist uh, yeah. in a in a very real way you know the arts are things that connect all the communities of not just chicago but mm -hmm. everywhere so and you seem to be putting that into into practice man so i i just wanted to touch a little bit more on jt in the clouds and then and to move through some of your other projects here Kind of quickly, I wish we could spend more time on them. Uh, the City's Hot album, uh, the, your your second album from uh, from 2007, was this beautifully textured uh, piece with these great little instrumental or light vocal interludes or urban lullabies, if you will, like Slums of Navarone. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
that was a, a standout feature of of that second album those little vignettes yeah that was a fun aspect of that album mm -hmm. and certainly uh a deliberate thing that we we put some thought into yeah uh, i think it, it kind of just came from our love of hip-hop and the way that on, on hip-hop albums you know you have those little sketches that come on between songs yeah um yeah. and palette cleanser yeah and uh yeah those those were fun yeah yeah um i i have to ask about lover's prayer my my current favorite song off that album uh i found these great intersecting textures the rhythm is all Latin with a French cafe, Southern European flavor uh, with that accordion bridge with the contemporary Western pop and vocal refrain that, that maybe catch, captures the ethnic patchwork of this city beautifully. that up i haven't thought about that song in a while actually but that was always one of my favorite songs off of that record too great lyrics and uh vocal delivery by jt um and a really fun song to to put together with the rhythm section uh mike august our drummer had a just great great drum beat on that song love the way he plays pretty unique rhythm that he he came up with there um, we were going for definitely kind of an african sort of uh vibe mm -hmm. and then we had matt eulery great chicago area bass player and composer he he played electric bass on that mm. and uh yeah the rest of that the, the songs uh that song and the rest of that album came together at our buddy's house in chicago huh? Um, produced by Zach Goheen, recorded by Zach Goheen, mm -hmm. who was a roommate of our drummer at the time. And so it was another actually great time in life where I remember just, you know, in my memory, we were just, we were hanging out. Experiments. Friends, friends and musicians, working yeah. on an album, putting songs together, bouncing ideas off of each other and just recording them in our own sort of space. And that was a great experience, super fun. So was it was it an, an organic direction? Was it deliberate? What was that conversation when you guys first came together 
with with the band were were you reacting to to the pieces as they were written how how did that all uh pull together because of their their there, while there was a a very cohesive nature to all three of those albums, in time there there seemed to be different influences. With Caledonia, uh, I I found influences of uh, of Wilco, and with uh, Hot in the City, um, there was there was those those really kind of bright Rolling Stones influences. How did that? How did that play out for you guys? I think a lot of that is just what was happening naturally in the room at mm-hmm. the moment, uh, especially for uh, the city's hot, mm-hmm. which did come together in a more organic way, I would say, mm-hmm. than our other albums. Okay. It was more like we would, we had a song, you know, Jeremy would bring a song with, with complete with most of a structure and melody and chords and mm-hmm. and then we'd have to just think of how we're going to put it across and we okay. usually have a couple of discussions about it and maybe a couple of drinks and start recording and 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 see what feels good uh-huh. and the kind of the whole album just rolled that way and came together in that same manner uh, a little bit maybe haphazardly uh, yeah. but I guess I would say loose it was loose that uh, that collaborative seemed to really work well, and and would would I be incorrect in observing that it kind of drew Jeremy towards uh, while while the album shared or or the album shared um, especially Hot in the City um, shared a lot of those roots foundations that that he was exploring. It was bigger, more pop-centered medium for him, right? Yeah, I mean, actually, I don't think we would have called it pop-centered, but okay, it was definitely a little more, I guess, exploring different sounds. Yep, yep. Um, and and you know, maybe that's maybe that's all that that you're referring to. Actually, is is kind of a wider palette mm-hmm. of sounds that we were that we were sort of experimenting with which created a different feel for sure. And oftentimes our, our songwriting was a little more straightforward, perhaps you might say, mm-hmm. um, without the, the, the focus on, on wanting to do something different sort of production wise or, mm-hmm. or in terms of the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was definitely something that we were experimenting with for the city's hot, yeah. And you move back and forth, or at least Jeremy's songwriting moved back and forth with with songs like Mountain Man. Where are you going now? What was you thinking? How did this come to be? Oh, baby, 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 baby. It ain't never been so clear. Has these beautifully repetitive rhythms uh, that reminded me 
uh, of the late great Jason Molina and Songs of Haya. Oh wow! Yeah, I haven't. Gosh, I you know it's I haven't thought about these songs in so long. It's bringing up a lot of different memories uh, for me right now. But so then you moved on to join Birds of Chicago with Grammy uh, Grammy nominated or Gram Grammy winning now Allison Russell. Talk about the change from JT in the Clouds to Birds Chicago and what precipitated closing that first project and starting this new one? Uh, well, the main thing was when Allie, Allison Russell mm -hmm. sort of joined, she, she sort of joined and was basically a member of JT in the Clouds. At mm -hmm. some point, uh, she was touring with us. She was on the albums. She was a part, very much a part of what we were doing. Then, as they, you know, became a couple and started writing and playing and touring more together, it just naturally evolved into well, okay, Jeremy and Allison need to do their own project, um, and that just made. It made sense with everything that was happening at the time. I was married and had a couple of small kids, as well as Drew, Drew Lindsay, who is Jeremy's brother. The three of us had started JT in the Clouds. He was also uh, starting a family at that time. And so we were not as available to always be going on the road and, and putting the band first. And Jeremy and Allison never stopped. I mean, they were always going full bore. Yep. with the music thing, you know, ever since I've known the both of them. Yeah. And so it was just a natural evolution. They, mm -hmm. they were going to keep touring and playing together. Mm -hmm. And as much as we could be a part of it, we were going to be, you know, Drew and I, and even the other guys from, from JT in the clouds, everybody was part of birds of everybody who was part of JT in the clouds, you know, at the end of our run was at some point also part of birds of Chicago. So mm -hmm very much all in the family, uh, yeah. just with a, a sort of different focus. Absolutely. Um, so proud and happy for them. Yeah. They, Allie, Allison won a Grammy, of course, but uh, Drew and Jeremy were also nominated for Grammys yep. uh, because they were both songwriters on that album. And in total, there was a there were four Grammy nominations and she got one for uh, uh, 
best performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for them. Good for them. Uh, yeah. And then Radio Free Honduras with the great Charlie Baron. Yeah. How does a kid from Toledo, Ohio, go from progressive roots oriented rock to Spanish language uh, punta and merengue uh, inspired music, man? It's just something that happens, you know? It, it's something that happens to you. <laughs> uh, for me, the, the, the thing that ended up being the catalyst, oddly, was the mandolin. I had always been kind of screwing around with the mandolin as an adult yep. and brought it into JT in the Clouds and Birds of Chicago occasionally, but it really was, you know, not something that was part of our sound. And when I first met Charlie, in the early 2000s when we right when we moved to chicago he was playing with a group called casa londo mm -hmm. who was pretty cool great latin band uh with carlos ortega at the helm and they had had some some success you know yeah uh regionally and nationally and charlie was just an inspiring guitar player and they were one of the first bands that we sort of came across and became friends with when we came to chicago Oh, great. Right. Yeah, that was just sort of random. And then before too long, I was sitting in with them occasionally on mandolin when I would come out to their shows. He'd say, hey, bring your mandolin. Oh, the and mandolin, man. It, it's addictive. Yeah. And I, I, even though it's not really part of the music, you know, traditionally that they were doing at the time, he just said, hey, bring your mandolin out. And so I started sitting in and and one thing led to another. And then I basically became part of that band. Mm -hmm. playing mandolin they had two guitars bass percussion and then I, I played mandolin and that's how I met Charlie and at the time I only knew him as a guitar player okay. and uh, because he his music was not not the focus of mm -hmm. of that group but there was a language barrier he really didn't speak English I spoke almost no Spanish at the time I still don't speak much but uh and so while I had this great admiration for him and respect for him as a as a guitar player mm -hmm. we really didn't talk much and i didn't know anything about him personally and then so that band sort of fell apart we lost touch for a little while but he was always somebody that i thought about as you know a musician i want to work with again and what so, was the, what was the appeal or what was the what was the thing that drew you so much to to a man, uh, you you admittedly had little conversation with. 
besides I mean, music but is that was yeah no it was honestly it was just this is this guy's a great guitar player he's and incredible. every time we every time we played together it you know it was moving it yeah. felt uplifting for me and right. felt like i was learning something and experiencing something new mm -hmm. that's not that common to find in in every setting when you're out playing music and doing you know different different things uh -huh. with music so that just always stuck with me and when i would try and sort of contact him occasionally over the years it, it would be a random text message or a phone call where none of us neither of us was really sure what to say or what the other one was talking about <laughs> and so the, that just kind of we sort of drifted apart until I just said, look, hey, let's get together and play some music. I'll come to your house. And he's like, yeah, come over. And that that's, was... one, that's one thing. You actually went so far as to pull together Grupo Gringo. Yeah. Well, because that night I went to his house, mm -hmm. uh, a, a tiny, you know, two bedroom apartment in Rogers Park. And he played, he started playing songs for me. Great songs, songs that I recognized instantly uh -huh. were, were good songs. Yeah, uh, I assumed at first that he's he's taking me through a, a a sort of songbook of classic Latin American standards or something like that because they all just were were even though that I didn't really understand all the lyrics and stuff I could you can just tell these are really well made songs. Yeah, uh, and then I realized no, these are all original songs. He's telling me no, these are all songs I wrote, and I was kind of floored, you know, blown away by that. I just asked him, you know. Are you, do you want to play? Why aren't you playing these songs? Why aren't you doing something with this music? And he's like, I, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know any musicians. I'm not sure wow. what to do. And I knew right there, I could help him at least with that, you know? So the goal at first was very uh, achievable. Let's say, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to, we're going to work out these songs. We're going to make sure the arrangements are, are good. And we're going to, put a band together and 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 just get them out there just play these songs with the band that was that was the goal at first and then you know as that happened it felt really good and things kept rolling from there venga venga les traigo alegría escuchen mi música y se animarán Con esta rumba todo mundo goza Olviden sus penas y vente a bailar Baila, baila Y no lo pienses más Invita a tu chica a disfrutar Goza, goza Que la vida es corta amigo Todo se termina y no vuelve más Baila, baila Y no lo pienses más Invita a tu chica a disfrutar Cosa, que la vida es corta, amigo. Todo se termina y no vuelve más. I think I think there's a, a lot to be learned about uh, this music um, from understanding a little bit about maybe doing a deep dive into Charlie's history. Let's start with uh, Lamento Campesino, uh, Peasant's Lament. Yeah. 
which yeah. is this beautiful autobiographical piece about Charlie's father that maybe defines a bit of Charlie's life as well. Charlie grew up on a uh, on a banana plantation, right? He, he actually worked on a yeah, yeah. He grew up on a banana plantation in Honduras. His whole family, you know, lived there and worked there. His father lived his whole life on the plantation, worked yep. his whole life on the plantation, died there, you know, as well. say that you know that song is a little maybe a little autobiographical yeah uh my thought when you said that was it's it's almost like the life that could have been actually indeed you know the it's he was almost destined to live and work in the fields like everybody else around him they had very little opportunity to do anything else and it just so happened that he's such an amazing talent uh -huh. that music was was his vehicle the only way he was i think ever going to be able to get out of the banana fields but that know, wasn't for, for that him. wasn't obvious and and his story alludes to the difficulty in breaking that trap or that life pattern uh that his father and and even perhaps his father's father lived i had a conversation a few years back with the legendary Bosnian composer Goran Bregovich about peasants and peasant culture, and and I spent a lot of time overseas, uh, and and I so I understand this very well uh, that we have little or no reference to that in this country. And while there's there's definitely a peasant culture, there's also there's also a trap for people with the talent of a Charlie Baran, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't really imagine. And the fact that I am sort of like the spokesperson right now for this is is a little weird, you know, I mean, but that's, that's the position I, I'm in. Yeah. So what I know are like, somebody, you know, somebody, has, I, somebody has to step into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I know is, is stuff that I've learned from Charlie over the years, you know, when we've had a translator, and we've, we've been able to get a little bit deeper into his his personal story but yeah i mean that's something that has struck me profoundly uh -huh. time and again is the fact that you know there was so little opportunity for him um and just the the pathway to even getting out of working in the fields let alone you know living a, a good uh, standard of living somewhere, you know, or, or having a, a happy life and all those other things. I mean, it was just very difficult for him. 
and it's almost uh, insurmountable. Yeah, really. And it's, it really I, really I think I mean, it's definitely worth touching on here, uh, especially with regards to the current immigration debate in this in this country. And by the way, I do a podcast for the Chicago Writers Association. I'm, I'm uh, uh, an author and a playwright. Charlie's story would make a hell of a book, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've learned so many fascinating things about him and his life and, and the circumstances. And just one little thing that maybe can speak to what you're getting at. Uh-huh. When he was, you know, in the 70s and 80s, he was part of several you know, pretty popular bands in Honduras, Banda Blanca being the biggest one. Yeah. In in some ways, maybe the biggest band to ever come out of Honduras. Yeah. Uh, certainly yeah. the band, the biggest hit, the biggest yep. hit song, Copa de Caracol. After Charlie was was had left the band, actually that hit that big hit uh, right after he left the band, number one on, on the Latin charts, man. He was actually on that recording, but he he was forced out of Honduras right after that and had to make a new life in the U.S. But before we get to that part of the story, I just want to point out that at that time, you know, when they were among the most successful musicians in Honduras, mm -hmm. they did not even own their own instruments. Yeah, that. Everything was controlled and sort of owned by someone else. Right. Uh, right. You know, they, he, he, of course, he could get a, a cheap acoustic guitar, but to get an electric guitar and an amplifier, they were, they wanted to be playing rock and roll music at the time, you know, and that's what they were, they were working on to get stuff like electric guitars and amplifiers and drum sets was virtually impossible. Yeah. And unless you were someone with serious resources, uh, music getting getting your music on on the radio in Honduras was pay to play. Oh, I you know what I assume so because everything was kind of like that. The, it's yeah. you know the, the corruption never stop never stops. I mean, kind of permeates every aspect of society and and your life at that. From what I've heard, so yeah, they didn't own their own instruments and. They had no like agency, even as one of the top bands of the time. I could have gotten my hands on pretty much any kind of instrument, even as a 12-year-old kid, let alone a, a professional musician. And the list goes on. I mean, you know, every opportunity afforded to me and and almost every avenue closed to him and, and to Charlie people. says he came on foot to the US and literally crossed the river at the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah, I mean, he's got a couple of stories 
of coming to the U.S. It wasn't like he just came here one time, but ultimately, yeah, he was forced to to flee Honduras. You know, ultimately in the early '90s, he was being persecuted, wrongfully persecuted by the government and the military mm -hmm. as being like a government sub subversive, totally just a misunderstanding. He was not remotely political or rebellious or anything. He was just trying to play music. This is a story that didn't come out until I had known him for about 10 years, right. uh, which was, I was also shocked about, you know, because I had never heard, but when he came to, to the United States, it's because he he had to leave under duress. He had been wrongfully arrested, detained in a horrible prison and questioned and literally kidnapped at gunpoint, forced into the trunk of a car, driven for 30 miles or something. He thought he was going to be killed. Instead, he was questioned and detained and eventually released but he felt that he was still being followed and persecuted and watched and he wasn't safe. He thought he was, his family wasn't going to be safe too. So, you know, what I found really he... interesting about, about his story was that he began playing guitar when he was 10 years old. And I, I was, I was struck, uh, well, first of all, by, by what you said of, of growing up in this country and, and you started out at an early age playing music right yeah mm -hmm. so for a lot of creative people what they end up doing is what they always dreamed of doing and the the odds against him being in the place he is now writing music with uh with uh was a uh, banda blanca and and performing with them he never lost sight of that. And that was, that was a key driver to his spiritual and emotional survival. Definitely. Yeah. And, but it was, it was something that he never, ever lost sight of. Definitely and I think not. That, that should be instructive for, for anybody who is pursuant of, something creative or something passionate in their lives is is that that level of determination right yeah yeah i mean this brings to mind another of charlie's stories that he has related to me mm -hmm. um you know like i said he never really he didn't he didn't own his own electric guitar he did have an acoustic guitar growing up and you know i'm sure a cheap cheaply made you know kind of acoustic um but enough to learn and play on. <laughs> and I asked him about that. And he told me a story of getting his first guitar. When he was about 12, he had an accident at home. You know, they lived in a little shack, basically a little hut on the yep. banana plantation and they slept in hammocks. He and his brother had slept in a hammock above him. Mm -hmm. And so at one point the hammock broke the clasp on the, his brother's hammock broke while he was trying to, fix it or playing with it or doing something mm -hmm. and cut his hand, cut his, his pinky on the left hand. Okay. Um, severely to the point where like half of it was hanging off. Wow. And so they, they had to rush him to the hospital, you know, the nearest hospital, San Pedro Sula, not that close, but the nearest mm -hmm. city. Uh, yeah. And 
it started to get infected and they said they were going to have to cut off the finger if they didn't, you know, if to, to stop the infection. And Charlie just begged. He said, no, no, you cannot cut off my finger. I'm going to be a guitar player. You can't. The, it, the, the infection got worse and worse. And they said, look, if we don't do this, you might lose the hand. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you can't do it. I need my fingers. I need all my fingers to play guitar. I mean, this is when the kid is 12 years old and doesn't know how to play a thing. <laughs> and it was basically like a life or death situation. And they trusted that, you know, Charlie and and his instincts, I guess, to some extent. Feel, yeah. And they didn't do it. They They didn't cut off his finger or his hand. And he eventually did recover. And he also recovered use of that finger for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, although that took a little bit of time. But after that, when he got out of the hospital and was released, they decided they were going to get him his first guitar because, you know, it was like a sign from God or something. conversation with uh, Mean Mary Jane, um, a, a great roots uh, banjo and guitar player um, from uh, Mississippi. And she had a serious accident. She uh, she began singing when she was just a child uh, and she was on a, on a couple of um, local TV shows. And, but she got into trouble with a boy had a serious accident and it crushed her 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 windpipe and her vocal cords uh, to the point where they told her you'll never sing again and she refused to relent and fought back and she's got a beautiful singing voice now boy that that's uh, again you know where that's that's fate and determination man oh yeah i mean from that from that young age to have that kind of determination and and just single-minded focus uh, and you know they got him a guitar and he said now well then he got one but he didn't know how to play and they didn't have anybody to give him lessons so eventually like somebody was traveling and came by the the farm and stayed with them who knew some guitar and taught him the d chord Mm-hmm. So when he was like 12 or 13, he learned how to play the D chord, you know, just wow. the basic open position chord. Yep. And so he's like, and, and the guy never came back for like a year. So I spent a year basically playing D. <laughs> he's like, I played D for the whole year. It was the only chord I knew. And I just played it over and over. I played it every way I could. I, you know, with every rhythm I could think of, I worked on my picking and my strumming and I fell asleep playing D every night when I was a kid. I fell asleep with a guitar in my hand playing D. (laughs) 
And then a year late, a year or two later, a guy comes back and teaches him three more chords. And, you know, of course he gobbled up everything he could. And then, you know, he, that's how he learned. He got people to teach him little things they knew along the way. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. In the retinue of, of local Chicago music. And, and I've been, uh, it, it was, it was the reason that I wanted to speak with you, but I've been very deep into local music for God, 40, 40 some 45 years now. This album, this Radio Free Honduras album is is right there at the top of of the list. There there are some great instrumentals like Gaviota. How did this album come together and how many songs were left off this album that are maybe waiting to be to be heard so that album it's interesting really for me to look back on you know i before meeting charlie and starting this band i really didn't have experience with latin music you know okay. only, only casually as a, I mean, as a there's there's got to be there has to be Boy, there has to be one hell of a learning curve for uh, for a kid from Toledo, right? Absolutely. And I mean, I wasn't even going to try and pretend that I knew, you mm -hmm. know, I, I took the approach of this is he's bringing me music. He's bringing me songs. They make sense to me, you know, and we're going to just do what what feels natural, what feels right. Yeah. And so in that sense, I didn't really have context for these songs, proper context for these songs, personally, it was literally Charlie, you know, playing a bunch of songs and then me kind of saying, let's, let's develop this one. Let's work on this one. Okay. And just sort of picking from his pretty extensive songbook at that time, just the, with the songs that I kind of liked the most. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he, was happy to have me sort of take the lead on that and, and be the one making decisions and, and sort of doing the production of the album, which, you know, felt like a great honor and a great responsibility. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking of the, I couldn't think of the learning curve, you know, it, yeah, it was yeah. huge, but I couldn't think that way. And so we just chose songs, we chose songs that fit together well. We chose a band that, you know, understood what we were trying to do and, and, and made an album. 
I'm, I'm thinking of songs like Que Espera, um, mm-hmm. which has this, which kind of lulls us with this, uh, this soft opening uh, before it literally erupts into this great up-tempo piece. to to punta music to to make a mistake or an overstep or um or take it a wrong direction or add maybe a a a flavor that doesn't work with with the original core of the song but you guys play that seamlessly and beautifully oh thank you I think that speaks to Charlie's songwriting and the sort of universality of it. And, you know, he grew up in Honduras listening to all kinds of music, but in particular, the Beatles, Mm -hmm. the zombies, the Eagles, you know, American class, what we we think of now as classic rock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. he, He has that sensibility and he is so open to interpretation of his his music that it, it felt like you know we were gonna make it was gonna work almost no matter what you know um not to diminish the great work that all those musicians did and and putting those songs together at all but i think it really does speak to his songwriting more than anything else yeah he writes stuff that's accessible for anybody to hear you don't you don't have to be steeped in the culture or a specific style of music or the intricacy of the various rhythms that are going to be at play and all that you don't it doesn't it doesn't have to be any of that um but you guys you guys never never miss the the beauty the beautiful core the cultural core of songs like um cariño mio uh, my love there's uh, there are hints of of West African and Incan and Caribbean music, which which are imbued within those melodies and rhythms, and uh, and, and songs like uh, Morena, I can hear shades of Gambia's Sonia Jabarte uh, or Yusu Endor's uh, Saren Falu.
and those influences are not lost in in the uh, in the sort of Western bridge that you guys make uh, to round out uh, Charlie's songs. Yeah, totally. I mean that that's a big part of what they are. That's that's what you know. That's what makes the songs in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. even though it is very much kind of open to to interpretation, there's so much that we could draw from. Indeed. You know, that, yeah. that, that as far as inspiration, um, so much great music out there. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is very on the on the Afro-Caribbean side. Yeah. And so even just knowing that yeah. it, it makes it so fun to explore the possibilities, especially when you have good musicians that that are able to to keep up with any sort of ideas that might get thrown out and and. It's a great way to try things um, and experience things that you know I've never imagined I would be able to do. And and just to just to highlight the perils of a misstep here or an overstep here for for people who aren't familiar with Punta, um, as you said, it, it's it's an African indigenous dance and and cultural music of the uh, Garfuna people, right? Correct. Yeah, Garfuna um, people. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it it dates back to to West African slavery, um, and uh, and became mixed with uh, the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean. Puntas is used to reaffirm and express the struggle felt by those indigenous populations um, and their common heritage through that cultural art form, such as dance and music, uh, and it highlights their really strong sense of endurance as well as reconnecting back to the ancestors. So this music really is the story, the good and bad, the reliance uh, and heartbreak woven into the history of the Americas. But it's also, it's also a, a, a cherished cultural relic that you guys augment without dampening. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I certainly, that is certainly the goal, you know. Okay. Um, I, again, I, this is the Garfuna um, people, culture, music. This is all relatively new to me. So yeah. Yeah. I'm always trying to make sure that first and foremost, we're being respectful of that tradition and not trying to, you know, not trying to claim it in any way or or anything or step on any toes at all yeah um, no but it's really it's really something that we admire and we want to take inspiration from and it really is incredible the story you know just being in this group with charlie eventually forced me down the same road of 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 researching punta and the garifuna which is a group i had never heard of a cultural group i had not heard of previously yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really fascinating stuff. Um, you know, they say they they are descended from the the African people who were intended to be brought as slaves, but never were enslaved right. because they caused shipwreck. They maybe mutinied on some slave ships and ended up, you know, on the coastal regions of Honduras and Belize mostly. Yeah. Um and and like you said, mixed with the indigenous Caribbean culture and and also the uh, the colonists, you know, and and yeah. it all 
all became Garifuna eventually, and it's so fascinating. And these beautiful Mayan accents, uh, like the traditional Mayan song, Tinka. at the core um, it's it's in it's in these these moments in the shadows of uh, of what Charlie is playing um, and that that again you guys sort of build this framework around yeah yeah I mean I I think of yes I think of him as being the framework you know but but yes I mean in my it's the, almost the same thing but just a slightly different way of thinking about it, you know. Yeah. yeah. We, just, we we first and foremost try to listen to to what he's playing. Yeah. And most of the information is there. Yeah. In what in what he's doing, one way or another, you know, he really has a way of doing different rhythmic things on the guitar that mm -hmm. I can't even dream of like imitating. I wouldn't try. I can't do it. It's it's just a different approach altogether. Uh, so we just listen. And most of the information's there. So we just try to, wow. like you said, augment rather than than impose anything on it. You know, I'm not trying to bring any ideas like to to mix things up or whatever, you know. No, but I but it's I think important. I think those contemporary influences are, are are a strength of of this music and this album. And that comes through really strongly in uh, to to accent Charlie's uh Ultra Cerveza. Starts off with that electric guitar uh, and and those those more rock oriented drums, Western oriented drums, but it works, man. Thanks. Yeah, he does allow me when I you know when we're doing an album and I'm producing, which is typically what happens 
he uh-huh. he's very very open to ideas and i think he trusts me for some reason to a certain extent uh, <laughs> and, and it's really it's really fun um because yeah. being that i am not steeped in those musical traditions yeah. it feels like i have extra freedom in a way you know almost like i can't make a wrong choice because we're not obeying any of the rules anymore you know we're just we're just working on a song and we're just trying to do something that sounds cool that everybody likes and it's pretty freeing uh-huh. in that sense even though even though I'm, in some ways i feel like i'm in over my head <laughs> i mean it it's it's kind of a free genre and and there's there's a lot of room for uh for interpretation that's that's just imbued in in that style right definitely Definitely. And and Charlie is a big fan of elaborate sort of arrangements and and a full instrumentation, a full sound, you know, the instrumentation. And so that ultimately leads to more freedom and more exploration because I'm going to start now thinking about musicians that I want to bring in for this, you know, rather than, yeah. you know, I'm trying to try and compose a part. I'm going to say, all right, this song is great, but, you know, what if we bring in Howard Levy, for example, uh, on piano or harmonica, you know, and, yeah. and any number of different guys in town that we love so much, so many great musicians around town that we can call upon and that we've played with in the past and like, we'll, we'll come in and, and play with us. Cause I guess they like the music too. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a big part of like, when things start to get fun in the studio, I'm like thinking, all right, we need to bring in some flavor and we're going to bring in these guys to do it. Uh-huh. It allows people to put their own stamp on things and um, helps create that, that contemporary twist. Build it, building it out. Radio Free Honduras has a new single out, uh, Pero Te uh, uh, um, which translates to I Will Forget You. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. Um yeah. Is it is it sort of an answer to Enrique Iglesias Nunca de ol, uh, uh, Olvidar? Uh, I'll never forget you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. But I guess it's a different perspective for sure. el corazón y no te importa si sufro o lloro por tu amor y no te importa a veces quisiera decirte adiós pero no puedo se me hace tan duro amor te estoy queriendo Yeah, Charlie writes a lot of, of love songs. and All of these songs are, are love songs at their core, right? And songs about love lost. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think oftentimes that, that's a metaphor for, for who knows what. But uh, mm-hmm. Life. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course, we've all loved and lost in uh-huh. many ways. Certainly Charlie has. 
but yeah, that song, um, I remember that's one of the songs that a newer composition that he, he brought for this new album. The new album also has some old compositions, you know, things that are up to 45 years old that we're um, sort of reviving and bringing back. Yeah. But um, so it, this was also a mix of, of stuff. I mean, spanning decades, you know, these songs, but that was one of the newer ones. And I remember, you know, he had a distinct, the distinct idea was the first part's going to be this kind of Punta Merengue vibe. And then we're going to go yeah. to like a more cha-cha vibe. And he, he had those, those rhythms <laughs> in mind already. Um, and so that was a super fun song to put together. Uh, so, so you, you've already indicated a couple of times here that, uh, that, uh, this is going to be part of a, uh, of a new album. Do you have a release date for, for that new album? I don't have a date yet. Okay. Um, we are, we are sort of just putting the final pieces together of the actual physical album and yeah. the, the design work, and then it's going to go off to manufacturing and, and that's where we're at right now. Okay. But it will be sometime probably late spring, early summer. Will you and uh and maybe Charlie come back and uh and talk about it? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Um and I know Charlie's faced some some health challenges. Any any plans for for live dates or a tour with the uh with the new album? Absolutely. Uh we're working on booking a few different things for, for summer and fall. Right now we're we're booking out about about that far we'll certainly have a number of chicago dates right. um you know some street festivals mm -hmm. and community concerts and and we'll see what else comes through but we always make sure to play in chicago especially in the summertime it's just the best you cannot beat it no, that's uh, true. So keep keep an eye out for some of those dates and we're going to be doing some touring out northeast probably west coast um maybe Colorado and, and New Mexico. And so we're working on some touring and for sure we're going to be in the Midwest and, and playing in and around Chicago in the summer. Good deal. I'll be looking for that. Uh, Pera de Olvidar is the latest in a lively and beautiful collection of music penned by Punta and Merengue legend Charlie Baran uh, and more than ably backed by guitarist Dan Abuabsi who organized Grupo Gringo, uh, another great group of musicians. Uh, the website is RadioFreeHonduras.com and GrupoGringo.com. What and what a pleasure, man! This was this was a wonderful conversation. I had so much fun exploring this uh, this music with you, bro. Oh, thanks! It was a real pleasure to talk to you about it. <laughs> O lloro por tu amor y no te importa. My sincere thanks to Dan and all of you who listen. A link to Radio Free Honduras is in the notes below. If you like this program, please subscribe and share with your social community. We end this episode with Radio Free Honduras and their latest single, Parote Olvidar. Until next time, I'm your host. W.C. Turk. Puedo hacer feliz a mi manera, pero te olvidaré. Te lo juro, mi amor, pero te olvidaré. Te lo juro, mi amor, pero te olvidaré.
destrozado el corazón Y no te importa Si sufro o lloro por tu amor Y no te importa A veces quisiera decirte adiós Pero no puedo Se me hace tan duro amor te estoy queriendo Quisiera que comprendieras Si estoy sufriendo Te juro que te puedo hacer feliz A mi manera 